Good morning. It's uh, great to be together. Uh, we are the uh, International Church of Christ. We're in the Los Angeles branch. And uh, we want to welcome all of our friends here today that are visiting with us. Uh, last week, we had an incredible conference of about 10,000 people. And we gathered together in the uh, Long Beach Convention Center. But today is a little bit more intimate. And uh, i got to tell you, it's great to be back together. And uh, yeah, I've been traveling a lot for work. And uh, I really miss everyone. And uh, we had a devotional last night with the teens, and it was great. It was just a thank you devotional. The teens got up, and they thanked their parents. They thanked their friends. And I love that scripture when it says, Who is my crown and who is my joy? And uh, that's certainly all of us here. But I'd like to just uh, start with a word of prayer. I know there's a lot of stuff going on. We're going to be taking care of, a, of, of the announcements and a special announcement as well to really pray and keep the people of the Philippines in our hearts. I don't want to start off and just praying for that as well. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to you. Uh, thank you that we get to live in America. Thank you that we really have infrastructure that protects us from storms and from the calamities that are really all around us. And Father, I pray today that we'll always be grateful. But not only that, but we'll keep be mindful of what we have. And uh, Father, to understand our position to help. Father, I pray that more than anything else, God, we get the word deep in our hearts, God, that we can help people just really the most important way, that is to know about you and, uh, God, to have a security that goes beyond this body. But, Father, while we are in this body, I, I pray for those, God, that are suffering, God. I, I pray for the people, the rescue mission and the relief efforts. I pray that you really speed it up. Father, clear the ways for the tracks, tractors to go in, for the planes to go in, for the food and the water to go in. And, Father, I pray that as uh, we close out uh, later on today that, uh, Father, we can give our share as well. Not just our money, but our hearts, Father. Please be with me as I preach the Word, God. Uh, I pray that the Word can convict us, inspire us, and help us to know you and to live a life that is worthy of our calling. God, we love you so much, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, as we approach the uh, holiday season, uh, we started a series, and uh, it's called The Treasure Principle. I'm, I'm walking around, so help me out. I, I'm coming out of myself. I usually, like for 20 years, I've always preached like behind the podium. So today I'm, I'm trying. So it might be a little bit awkward. I might trip and fall. Yeah, I'm not like Marco. I, I just don't have that, uh, I don't have that, that finesse that Marco has. But I'm going to try, okay? So it might be a little bit awkward. <laughs> so help me out. Amen? How am I doing? How's my profile? Pretty good? Pretty good? So we've started the, uh, a series that's called The Treasure Principle. And uh, really it's about, uh, the subtitle of it is Unlocking the Secret of Joyful Giving. But it's really much more than that. It's not about just giving our money or giving our time. It's so much more than that. It's unlocking the secrets of our hearts. It's really to get in a position where we can give and then really uh, to love giving. And uh, it's part of a book uh, by, I think, by Randy Alcorn. And uh, we, you know, I don't think we have it available right now, but it's going to be available um, later on that we can pick up in the book table. But it's a series of about six lessons, and different brothers will come up and preach. And the, there's like a supplemental quiet time series that goes with that. So I think you're going to get that in the email or so. I feel like it's a special title for me, because uh, my Chinese name means joy to the Chow family. That's been a lot of stress and a lot of pressure over the years, but that's literally my Chinese name. It's joy to the Chow family. 
And I, I love that name because there's a difference between joy and happy. You know, in the Bible, the, the Bible talks about happy and happiness. It's recorded about 30 times or so. But the word joy and joyful in the Bible is over 300 times. And that's not even counting rejoice or all those other affiliated words with it. So we see what the Bible says about being joyful. And it goes beyond happiness. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And the principle really is from this scripture. And uh, let me do this. The title of the lesson today is Complete Joy. I, I bought into the whole thing. Walking around, PowerPoint. You convinced me, Mark. After four years, you got me. And uh, really, the principle of this uh, lesson comes from the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13, in verse 44 and verse 46. We're going to read together. And uh, we're going to do a lot of reading today. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. You know, one thing I appreciate about the Bible is that the honesty of the Scripture and the reality of it, the practicality of the Scripture. The Bible doesn't teach us to give up something for nothing. The Bible teaches us that there are two men, that one was actually looking for something, and the other one kind of stumbled on it, but the results were the same. That they, in their joy, sold everything that they had and bought that field. I love that scripture because it's so practical. The Bible doesn't call us to give up something that is valuable to us for nothing, but instead we're trading something that is for something that is so much greater. And it shows you the heart of God the generosity of God, and really the the incredible sovereignty of God as well. That He doesn't promise us something that will deflate us or let us down. He says, listen, give this up. You're going to get something so much more greater. So much more greater. You know, I look at these two men and the Bible says that they sold everything that they had. And in this scripture, the context of the scripture is talking about the kingdom of God. And Jesus, you know, wrestling with words, what is the kingdom of God like? And that's what he said. He says, it's like this. It's like this. And, you know, at the heart of the kingdom is what? It's God himself. I want to be fair. You mind? I'm going to come over here a little bit. So, the heart of the kingdom is the king, and it's God. And that's what we're trading in, whatever that is so valuable to us, whatever that we've accumulated over the years for and that is God Himself. You know, John Wesley, uh, you know, you see these little anecdotes. He says, it's about John Wesley. He says, once a distraught man rode his horse to John Wesley, shouting, Mr. Wesley, something terrible happened. Your house burned to the ground. Wesley thought about the news and calmly replied, no, the Lord's house burned to the ground. That means one less responsibility for me. I don't know about you. Are you inspired by that? I'm inspired, but at the same time, I'm kind of irritated by it. I'll be honest with you. It's kind of irritating. It's like, really? Your husband burned out to the ground and your calmly says, one less responsibility for me? It seems a little bit unrealistic. And although that might be the goal in our hearts, but that little thing there, it's missing a few steps. 
And it reveals to us a lot about who God is as we look at those steps. And it reveals to us how God loves us. But not in that way, in a sense, that He expects us to have that kind of heart. It's about a wrestling in our hearts. It's about the path and the road to get there. I don't know about you, I cannot relate to that Scripture. And the first thing I see when I see that, not Scripture, but that passage is, well, number one, I'm not John Wesley. I'm not there. And I, the second thing that comes to me is, well, good for you. You know, and that's, that's where I'm at. Okay. The Bible actually says this, that in Ecclesiastes, the book of wisdom from Psalm, it says, when times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, man cannot discover anything about his future. I like this better. Don't you think Scripture is better? You know, when things are good, be happy. It's the, when circumstances are good, jump up and down and be happy. There's nothing wrong with it. That's from God. You know, I look at pictures from, from the Philippines. I, I got a brother who sent me some pictures. And I, I, I honestly, I, I'm just not, I don't have the bandwidth right now. And I'll be honest with you, I, I erased them. I just, I just put on the delete box. It reminds me so much. Uh, Lena and I, there was another storm about five years ago in Burma. And that storm caused a tsunami so great that the wall of water went through all the towns and villages and literally it washed the people away. And about 110,000 people lost their lives. And Lena and I had a chance to go in there and, and, and give money and all that stuff. And the government, they shut down the whole country. But Lena and I had visas. We went in there and we had a chance to see and actually interviewed some of the people firsthand. And just the sorrow, it's, it's, un, it's unbearable to look at their face and to see, you know, I, I don't know what happened to them. I was here and my kids were there and then the water came in and I just haven't seen them anymore and I don't know where they are. Can you imagine? And just, just, it's just the, the, the feeling of utter helplessness. There's nothing that they can do. And I remember coming back to Bangkok at that time and on the flight, looking at all the water that surrounded those cities and for, for months after that, when there was a rainstorm, or when there was rain, I, I would just, tears would just flood down my eyes. It's, it's sad. So what's that have to, we're lucky, we're so lucky. We're the luckiest people on the face of the earth, we do. We are promised an eternal kingdom with God, to live with God forever. And as an added bonus, we live in America. America is a great country. I'm 47 years old. I literally have lived half in America and half overseas. This is a great country. Whatever you say about it, you know, whether you're Republican, Independent, you know, Democrat, it really doesn't matter. We are the recipient of one of the greatest blessings on the face of the earth. Most people do not live like this. Most people on, on earth, I mean, they just don't. And uh, I think sometimes it's good for us to get out. You know, when times are good, rejoice. That's from God. When times are bad, consider. You know, Mr. Wesley, maybe you left the lights on. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe you, you cooked something and you forgot to turn it off and burn the house down and where's your family going to live now? You know, there's a reality too. When things happen, consider and think. Think. You know, is this my part? Is this from God? Is there a lesson in it for me? 
God is in control. It's from God. He allowed this. He controlled it. He directly gave it to me or he allowed it to happen. Why? Is there something that he wants to do in my heart? You know, I love the scriptures. You know, Jesus did not promise that when we became Christian, it's going to be a bed of roses. He says, I told you these things so that in in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble. That is a promise. I mean, that is such a poor marketing strategy if you want to be following. Don't you think? You're going to have trouble. You're going to come. You're going to give up stuff. They might kill you. You might not have a place to live. You don't have a pillow and you're putting it in your head. But come and follow me. Gosh, no wonder he only had like 500 people at the end of his life. After all that work, after dying on the cross, oh my gosh, you know, wait, forget the, you know, 500 people. And they were scattered around, but those 500 people got it and changed the world. Are we included in that number? Are we going to change the world through our understanding of God? Sorry, John Wesley, wherever you are, I, I have to use you. You know, the Bible says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And here's a worldly example. You know, there was a guy who was talking about Mahatma Gandhi. Little frail, little old man, 5'3", skinny, probably about 85 pounds. And this man went on to change the British Empire. 85, all 85, 90 pounds of them. And you know what they said about him? They said, this man does not need anything. He does not need a house. He does not need money. He does not need stature. He is a dangerous man. You know, joy is powerful. Don't think that joy, you know, like this little thing, you know, oh, I'm joyful, joy to the world. I'm not, it's powerful. When there is something in you that is indestructible, that cannot be taken away, that even if you know you take everything away, you are still the core of you, the same person, that's power. That's how you determine what power is. When things are taken away from you, how will you respond? That's what joy is. It's different than happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances. You know, we don't have time to read, but in the book of Esther, it talks about a man named Haman. And the Bible says that he woke up that morning happy because he was promoted. And then as he was walking through the day, he saw Mordecai, who didn't respect him, and he became full of rage. His happiness was changed just in the course of the day because of something happened to him. And then, he, go back and read the story for yourself. And then he went back, he talked to his wife, his wife says, yeah, but you got the power, you're going to put him down, build a couple gallows for yourself, and put him on there, and he was happy again. It's the vicissitude of life, ups and the downs. But we're talking about something much deeper than happiness. You know, our country is built on the declaration that it is the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we're not the only one. Ironically, Vietnam, when they had their declaration of independence from the French, they had the exact same verbiage. 
in their declaration. We're not that far. In this world, there is a pursuit of happiness. In this world. But as Christians, we go much, much further than that. You know, let's go back. Let's read that again. Consider pure joy, it says. Wow, that's tough. Pure joy. Not just a little joyful. Pure joy. You can only get to that if you understand the rest of it because God is trying to produce something in us. Something, as the song says, much more than gold. Much, much more than gold. You know, joy is, in a funny way, it has, happiness is circumstantial. Joy, if you read the Bible and if you read stories of people, in some ways it's inextricably tied in with sorrow. And it's tied in with pain. It's tied in with hardships. Just like what the book of James says. I love this uh, letter that was written to a woman who had lost, supposedly, and we found out later it wasn't really the case, but she had lost five kids, five sons, in, uh, in battle during the Civil War. When Abraham Lincoln found out about it, he wrote her a letter. Her name is Mrs. Bixby. And he says, Dear Madam, I have been shown in the files of the War Department a statement of the adjunct general of Massachusetts that you are the mother of five sons who have died gloriously in the field of battle. I feel how weak and fruitless must be any word of mine which should attempt to beguile you from the grief of a loss so overwhelming. But I cannot refrain from tendering you to you, uh, from, the, from tendering you the consolation that must, that may be found in the thanks of the Republic they died to save. I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage you the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the love and loss and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Yours very sincerely and respectfully, Abraham Lincoln. Those are SAT words. Those are GRE words. People don't write like this anymore. I check some of my text messages from Andre Costa. I say, Andre, you don't write like this. I'm just kidding. I love this. He says, how weak and fruitless. He goes, man, I'm not the words. He says, I I don't even want to write this because I, I just don't have the words in my attempt to beguile you. I love that word. You know what he's saying? He said, I can't trick you into feeling better. Your circumstances are so dire, so terrible, that there are no words of mine that's going to make you feel any better. A grief and overwhelming. But, he says, I, I don't want to write you. I don't have the words. But, I'm writing you because I cannot refrain. I can't help myself. Tendering you the consolation. And look what else he says. He says that, he says, uh, he says, you know what? I know it's really a horrible situation, but he says, listen, he says, an asylum pride that must be yours. There's something that no one else has. Upon the altar of freedom, I must have laid such a costly sacrifice. You know, there is no glory without sacrifice. There is no glory. There was no, there was no power if life was so simple and so easy that you glide through it. That's what joy is. 
It comes from an inside that sees beyond the circumstances. It comes from seeing a God that is willing to give up His own Son and look past beyond the cross to see the joy and the glory. Not only for His Son, but for us as well. I love this passage. You know, what is it? What is it that is the thing that we must have that's going to sustain that kind of joy? That kind of belief, that kind of faith that will carry us for the rest of our lives. In Genesis chapter 14, we read about a man by the name of Abram and he was getting his faith. And God was building his faith and he went through a lot. It wasn't easy. He says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God, most high. This is after Abram has fought this battle. And he won. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram uh, by God, most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God, most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. Do you see that? Again, pretty good, huh? But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hands to the Lord God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even the thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I think God must have been so proud. He says, no deal. The king of Sodom says, listen, I'll let me give you a deal. Give me my people, because I can't be a king if there's no people. You can keep everything I have. He says, listen, no thanks. I made an oath to God. I don't want anything from you, because I don't want you to have any claim on me. On where I'm going. And the great things are going to be happening to me. That God is going to do. And I don't want you to have any credit. I want to give it all to God. I will accept nothing. Uh, I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me to, a- to Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. Genesis 15, verse 1. After this, the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. What is that treasure? It's God Himself. It's God Himself. You know, it says, do not be afraid of Him. I've thought about this passage a lot. You know, God knew that Abram was afraid. What was he afraid of? And I'm just as conjecturing. How is this going to happen? God, you say that you're my reward, but I... I just passed over an incredible deal. The deal of a lifetime. And you know what? I worked for that. I went out and I fought those guys. And it wasn't a deal that was you know, just given to me. I've earned that deal and I've passed it over. Will there be another chance like that? You know, greed is a funny thing. It is a funny thing. You know, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 
You know, this scripture has been really so much of the forefront in my life in the last five years. You know, Lena and I did uh, missionary work for over 15 years and we loved it. And we made zero money doing it. So, during the restructuring of the kingdom and the churches around the world, we went back out again in 2006 to Bangkok and our combined salary was $36,000 for a family of four. No insurance in a foreign country. And you think that's a lot of money? Rent is about $1,000. So we bought insurance and some, you know, we had some, uh, helped some friends and we got about an extra $800 uh, through the church in Las Vegas. I'm super grateful for that. So we went out there for two years. First year, we were there. No insurance. We were just open. Don't make me sick. <laughs> I don't want to be sick. I don't have any money to be sick. It was good. God got us through. We got insurance the second year. When I came back, Lena's um, dad passed away. And um, this is the gravitas. I think this is a black hole or something like that. It shows the gravitational pull. The more mass you have, the more pull it has. When we came back, Lena's dad had passed away and gave us some money. And during that time, we made some investment in the real estate market. I'm Chinese. I should have done gold. Or I should have buried the money underneath. But I had some good friends that says, Ken, listen, the real estate market is really booming. Give us your money and let us invest in it. You'll make a lot of money. For the first time in my life, when I hear him say, you'll make a lot of money. And it wasn't like I was going to go out and buy a Tesla or anything like that, you know. I wanted to write my own ticket. I was kind of tired of begging, you know. Missionaries, you go out, you beg, you go, please, you bring your kids up there, you know. Don't look too nice, Elizabeth. Tear a little piece down here, you know. Kind of look ragged, you know, like your teeth. And you know, don't brush your teeth that day. You know, say charcoal, put a little charcoal on your face. A little bit of a Charles Dickens kind of thing, you know. I was tired of that. You know, I was tired of of just depending on people. This is the reconstruction of the church. I got to look out for myself. So we, out of the short story, end of a long story, we, we made some investment. It was horrible. Horrible. I have a gift. I can sleep. Like, ask Lena. I, I can put my head down, and before I can say goodnight, I'm like done. I'm gone into another world, into another world. But you know what? That was the first time in my life that I never slept. I mean, I was just tossing back and forth, checking, it, checking. It. I was overseas, too, like eight thousand miles. Like, oh my gosh, it's like it's sinking, it's sinking. It's pretty bad. Yeah, I, I would keep it from Lena, but it's like, it's like. It's like, but Ken, why can't you sleep? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, Ken, you look horrible. I don't know. Everybody told her. When things are good, be happy. I was counting my money. You know the appreciation? I was counted. Zillow, that was my favorite site. I wake up in the morning, my quiet time, and then Zillow. You know, I was like, oh, look. As fast as it went up, it went down. My, I bought a few homes, and you know, I bought one in Las Vegas. I bought it for three forty-five. It sold for for hundred thousand. I bought another one in Las Vegas, right by the lakes. They only had like one lake in Las Vegas. I bought it. You know, I was like, I was like, surely that cannot fail. You know, surely there's one lake. For goodness' 
its value. Bought it for 185, sold it. No, I didn't sell it. They sold it for $45,000. Not only did I lose all my equity, I lost all my investment. Not only did I lose all my investment, the banks are calling me. They said, Chow, you owe us some money. Uh, no, no speaking English. <laughs> I'm in Thailand. Painful, painful, man. I'm telling you, I was like, oh my gosh. Couldn't sleep, couldn't eat. I was going to call some people to get me help, but i so distressed I didn't know how to dial anymore. I forgot how to dial the phone. Is that a 911? I think I called like 411. Yeah, I was, like, I was just like, oh my gosh. Well, the good news is that I, I, I've repented. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm still working through it. I think I've gone out of it. Uh, no more debts. Zero. Now I am like hard line. That, that, that uh, gas bill comes, I, I pay it before it comes. I do. Debt free. What a great feeling. I can sleep again. The treasure principle key. God is enough. He's enough. I didn't want to buy a Tesla. I didn't want to buy anything. I just wanted to write my own ticket. I wanted to be my own God. And God says, sorry. There's only one God and you're not it. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. That's what joy is. My cup over. I got so much of it. Come and get it. You know, I want to talk to some of the Christians here. We should be, I'm not talking about happy like weird. I'm talking about when people look at us, they got to know that there's something inside of us. A joy that overflows. And I'll be honest, some of us, man, I tell you, you know, I think we're kind of grumpy. We are, you know, it's like, I'm talking, you know, it's like, talking to some of us, and it's like, jeez, it's like, schleprock. You ever remember that guy? It's like the sun can be all around him, and then he's walking around, you know, and there's this, this big cloud on his head, just, it's just, it's raining on him. I lived in San Francisco, there was an area where my mom and my dad lived, it's like that, it's like, it's, it's beautiful. It can be sun all around except for that one little zip code. It's like just right. It's like, what is this? It's like we're cursed. Look around, guys. We are the luckiest people on the face of the earth. Things aren't that bad. This is a good place to be. Amen? My cup overflows. And you know what? I take that back. It's not self-help. It's not trying to will yourself. You're right. It, it, it comes from a deeper source. It comes from God. We all get sad. We all get burdened. It's been a tough year. My dad died. And I'll be honest with you, I don't even think I've, I've really spent the time to process it because it's so painful to me. It's so profound. This life, death, eternity. I'm just afraid to go there. You know, there's a story about Eric Little. He was a runner. How much do I have left? 
Okay, I got about 15 minutes. There was a runner by the name of Eric Little. During the, uh, I don't know, during the, I don't know, during the black and white uh, time, um, <laughs> pictures, during those times when it was black and white, all right? That's him, Eric Little. German? Henry is right there, man. It was the 30s. That's what I thought. Just kidding. He says that God made me fast. He says, God made me fast. He says, I believe God made me for a purpose. And when I run, I feel His pleasure. What a great, what a great line. I feel you know, when I know that Lena's happy with me, life is good. Life is good. You know, life is really good. How much more go so God? God looks down. I look at Gabby and I go, I like that kid. I like that kid. I want to be like that towards God. He's weird, but that's mine. I want God to say that about me. I know Henry says that he is the apple of God's eye. I said, Henry, why don't we trade fruit? Let me be the apple and you can be something else. You can be the orange. But I want to be the apple of God's eye. But Henry is entrenched. He, he thinks he's the apple. That's a good feeling. That's a good feeling. I want to compare Eric Little with Harold Abraham. He was a contemporary of Eric Little and he was one of his main rivals. You compare what Eric Little said compared to what Abraham said. Abraham says, you, Aubrey, he was talking about someone else, you are the most complete man, you're brave, you're compassionate, you're kind, a content man. That is your secret, contentment. I am 24, and I have never known it. I'm forever in pursuit, and I don't even know what I am chasing. Is that us? Always chasing the next thing? Not happy with what we have? Not content of what already God has given us? I know some of us are like that. I know I can be like that too. Let's be content. Let's be grateful. We have God. There's nothing else we need. My cup overflows. He leads me beside waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. You know... It's, it's, it's a contrast. It's a contrast of, I run for His pleasure, and man, I'm just running, and those ten seconds, that, it defines who I am. But Eric Little was so far beyond that. I'm not about ten seconds. I'm not about my job. I'm not about my performance. It is much more than that. And if we get that, we will win. Amen? I got four practical, and we're going to call it a day. How do we get that kind of joy? How do we go from your house burned down, and you know what? It's okay with me. Okay? And I want to fill in those steps. And those steps are, and there are more than that, but I got four. Pray, think, surrender, and give. Okay? Number one, pray. You know, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You know, when I read the Scripture, I don't think about the quiet little prayers. I think about Hannah's prayer in the Old Testament where he says, you know, like that, remember that Geico character? Remember that you see that? I, I, I watched, I love TV. I gotta confess. You know, his tires busted and he's doing these commercials and he's like really nice. Oh, you know, your tires busted, but he, there's one take where he's like, my tire is busted! And he's like, help me! Right? That's the kind of prayer that we need to have. It's the kind of heartfelt prayer that, that is real, that is genuine, that is honest with God. And I think God appreciates it. How do I know that? Look at the Psalms. They're not nice little prayers. They're like, kill those guys. Get them. And get their kids too. And you know, he works through it. Have you noticed that of the hundred and something Psalms, at the end it's always like, but you are the one. And he works himself out of it. A lot of times we go to each other and we like, we, we like inundate each other. Spouses, we destroy each other. And I know I do that. I come home and I tell Lena all these little finagled ideas and hurts that I have and that you could just see her like shrink like a little cartoon. It's, it, she can't handle it. She's an awesome woman, but that's not her job. I gotta go to God first. Amen? Instead of really burdening each other, instead of hurting each other, let's go to God. God can handle it. In everything, you know, uh, the Bible says what? Petition with thanksgiving presents our requests to God. I, I'm convicted. I don't, don't pray enough. I don't work these things through enough. And I don't get there because I don't pray enough. And I made a decision for next year, which starts now. I want to pray more. I need to work these things out. I can't just gloss over things. And I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm not okay. It's still there. I need to wrestle it out with God and pray. Amen? Number two, we got to think. Look what it says. You know, Ted Turner is one of my favorite uh, characters. I love that guy. Yeah, he's got his flaws. But he says, you know, Christianity is for losers. That's his perception. And in some ways, it's kind of true. I mean, I'm not... Let me take it back. <laughs> what he's saying is that, you know, we can actually use Christianity for not doing some of the things that actually God asked us to do. And the peace of God will transcend our understanding and guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We have to elevate our thinking as Christians. The kingdom of God is within us. It's it's about our thinking. It's about our hearts. It's about our attitudes. You know, the Bible says that He will judge the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. Everything will be uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom to whom we of Him to whom we must give an account. How's our thought life? 
Are we contorting our mind to bend it to the will of God? I think sometimes we get kind of lazy. We don't think. We don't think. You know, the Bible says, think. Think. I've got it down. Think. Meditate on the words. Write down some of the great things that God is doing. Consider. You know, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. I'm, I'm really convinced of that. You know, if God didn't care about us, He, he, just, he just, whatever. He cares. He's training us. He's disciplining us. He's shaping us. Perseverance. It's going to produce something greater than goal. Number three, surrender. And it goes on with thinking. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. This is the parable of the lost son. After he had spent everything there was, in the, in the, there was a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went out and he hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, how many, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Man, I'm feeling all these things. I'm kind of down. I'm not where I need to be. I'm starving to death. But look at all the people around me, all the brothers, all the sisters, all the lessons in the Word of God. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I thought about it. I realized how big my sin was. Heaven, the magnitude of my sin, how personal my sin is. You, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. You see, there's a lot of things going on in there. The heart and the mind, it works together. And you know the rest of the story. They had a great celebration. Lastly, give. You know, we have such a great opportunity during the holiday season, especially, right? We should be doing this year-round. But especially during the holiday season. You know, I came in this morning, I saw this morning, the first thing I ran into was the three ladies with their booths. They gave me that look, you better sign up for something, we're going to hurt you. Or hurt you bad. I love this scripture. It is such a great scripture. And it is a solution. You know, we talk about treasure, right? Secrets. It is such a solution for so many mental health issues. It really is. And I don't want to be... I don't want to be insensitive. My brother has schizophrenia. Debilitated him all of his life. For 40 years. He has the paranoid type. He's incapacitated, really. I don't want to make light of that. But I do know that there are many levels of sadness and and, and just, just being down. This solves a lot of that. It says, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others, he himself will be refreshed. It's a give me. God is like, I'm giving this to you. 
It's a free answer. It's kind of like, you know, the, the, about the marriage, right? He says, take care of your wife. And God could have just said, that's enough. That's, that's, that's the noble thing. Take care of your wife. But he says, listen, but because you're ignoble, he says, but it's good. If you take care of your wife, you take care of yourself too. It's a give me. This is a give me. It's a secret. Reveal. He says, you want to be happy? You want to be joyful? Be out of yourself. Give. And it will be given to you. You'll be refreshed. All those things, a lot of those things will be washed away. Well, that's it. That's all I got. And let me see my time. I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, at this time we'll get a chance to take communion together. And I hope that this lesson has been helpful to us. And really culminating and really getting, drawing out where this joy emanates from. And really getting it from the source. And that's God Himself. Amen? The Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we always use this in a negative way, I've noticed. Right? We've always, I've always noticed that we've, we've used this in a negative light. Like, you know, where your heart is, you know, meaning money, you always... The opposite is true, too. Where your heart... Well, you know, where your treasure is in people... In the things of God, that's where your heart is as well. You know, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, we're going to pray for communion, but I'd like to read this scripture before we do. You know, Jesus was the embodiment of what joy was and is. The Bible describes his passage to the cross and his thought process and his heart process as he was heading to the cross and what he was thinking about and what he was feeling. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, the greed, the selfishness, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Not Eric Little, but us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary, that I will not grow weary, and do, does not lose hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to You for Your Word. Father, I pray that we can capture a, a percentage of the heart of Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross for us. Father, as we take communion, let us be thankful that we can participate in that and that we can eat together with you and share in the suffering and the joy that comes with it as well. Father, we love you so much, God. Help us, God. Help us to be joyful. Help us to really give to one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.